Our sermon this morning will be looking at Christ, who is the fullness of God. And that's something that John picks up in this first chapter as well. So starting in uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. morning, our sermon comes from Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. That's Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. As you, as you turn there, remember what we saw last week. Last week, we were looking at verses 6 and 7, and those are really the, the theme verses of Colossians. And what Paul said there was, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We said that really controls all of what Paul is saying in the book of Colossians. Now, in our passage today, Paul is going to start explaining what it means to walk in Christ Jesus the Lord. We're only going to look at three verses. There's a wider section from verses 8 to 15. I'm going to read the whole section just so we get the context. And as we read this wider section, I want you to listen. There's one danger, and there are three reasons to resist that danger. So as we read, listen for those things. One danger and three reasons to resist the danger. Let's start in verse 8. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities 
and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See the the danger that that Paul is laying out right in the very beginning. In verse 8, he says, See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. I want to ask you a question. What, What is the best way to get somebody to do what you want? What is the best way to control someone? You might say, well, if you're stronger than that person, you can, you can force them to do what you want. But they know that they are not free. What is the best way to get somebody to do what you want? It's to persuade them. It's to tell them that what you are giving them is good. That the way that you are pointing them is good. That is a danger that we all face in life. And that's particularly true in the Christian life. In the Christian life, there are many people outside the church and inside the church telling us what we should be doing, telling us what the truth is. And Paul here says, watch out. Watch out because it is so persuasive. It is so effective, but it may not be based on Christ. How are we supposed to resist a kind of a false teaching that we may hear? Well, Paul says very simply, look to Christ. Look to Christ and the fullness that we have in Christ. That's really the main idea of verses 8 through 10. In Christ, and in Christ alone, we have a fullness of God's presence and blessings. And because we have that, This helps us to resist empty, false teaching. Again, in Christ and in Him alone, we have a fullness of God's presence and blessings. And because we have that, we are able to resist a false and empty teaching. We'll see two very basic points here. In verse 8, we'll see the danger that we all face. And then in verses 9 through 10, we'll see the fullness of Christ. So let's start with the danger that we all face. Paul begins this passage by warning the Colossians. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now the danger that Paul is describing there is any kind of teaching that is not based on Christ. And Paul describes this kind of teaching as philosophy and empty deceit. And when Paul says philosophy, he means a lot more than just what you learn maybe in an actual philosophy class in college. He's talking about any kind of human wisdom, anything that comes from our own minds as we look at the world and we try to explain what's happening. It's what we as fallen humans come up with. That's philosophy here. But Paul goes further than that because he calls this kind of teaching empty deceit. Those are very strong words. That kind of teaching that does not come from Christ is empty. It's worthless. But even worse, it's actually a lie. It's deceit. And as a lie, it will hurt us. Paul's words might seem harsh. But he points out that this kind of teaching has the wrong foundation. It is according to human tradition, 
or according to the elemental spirits of the world, and it is not according to Christ. We shouldn't be believing something. This is important. We shouldn't be believing something because it's based on human tradition. We do that, though. We shouldn't believe something because it's what we've always done. We shouldn't believe it because it's what we've always believed or we've been taught to do that. Or we shouldn't do it because it's what the majority of people think. Remember that actually all of us are sinners apart from Christ. So sin actually characterizes all that we do or think. That means the majority of the people, if they're outside of Christ, they are always wrong. The tradition of man is never a sure foundation for our faith because it is shot through with sin. But Paul says we also shouldn't believe something because it's based on what he calls the elemental spirits of the world. What does that phrase mean? That's not very straightforward. If you look in your translation, it might say something different. It might say according to the basic principles of the world or according to the elementary principles of the world. What Paul is doing here is he, he seems to be referring to something that's, that's basic in the created and sinful world. could be something like spirits or fallen angels. That's how this translation takes it. Or Paul could be talking about something like creation itself, a fallen creation. Or Paul might even be talking about something like kind of an external religious activity, something like washings or, or a sacrifice, something that's very physical and very external. It's not changing your heart. Those are different options, and I'll admit I don't have a very firm answer maybe about what Paul specifically means. But I do think his general point is clear here. Do not believe something that is based on something in this world. Do not believe it when someone says that you need to just trust science or trust the laws of nature. Don't believe it, though it's not as common in our culture, but don't believe it when someone says, well, worship this false god. Now, we don't experience that as much, but our missionaries on the field will, will say stories so many times, like in Uganda, where they are worshiping the spirits, the real spirits that are around them. Do not worship anything in the created, fallen world. Now, Paul's warning here is particularly true for the Colossians, but it's actually true for the church in any age. There is always teaching in the world, and unfortunately also there's teaching inside the church that is not based on Christ. Let me give you a few examples to kind of show you what I mean. Some of you who are older may have actually lived through the damage to the church that was caused by what we would say liberal theology, okay? Theological liberalism, when when teachers in the church did not believe the Bible anymore. And when Jesus Christ, they reduced him down to, to just an example, no longer the savior of the world. Those leaders made those decisions about the Bible and about Jesus Christ because it made sense to them. Their conclusions are based on sinful human wisdom. We've also seen problems caused by health and wealth kind of gospel. That's a false gospel. That's, when, that's what happens when Christians have really bought into materialism, when we've bought into the idea that our bodies, our satisfaction, our stuff 
is the most important. Then we say that God thinks that too. God promises us easy lives with good health and lots of stuff. That's a lie. That is not true. And yet, you will find that teaching in the church. And right now, actually, all of us are living through pressures from the culture and even pressures from inside the church to support sin, to support homosexuality, for instance, to celebrate it even, or to support a redefinition of identity or gender or so many other things. All of these and many other teachings are wrong. They are not according to Christ. But people may make it look like they are from Scripture. They may make it look like it is according to Christ. They could say something like, isn't God love? If God is love, then shouldn't we love everyone regardless of who they are or what their gender is or what their identity is? They can, they can quote Scripture, but you notice what they've done? They've taken only one piece of Scripture. They are not basing it according to Christ, the fullness of Christ, the fullness of Revelation, the fullness of the Gospel. They've taken one piece of Scripture to support what they want to do themselves. None of these views, none of these views are based on Christ. And I'll show you how that's true. They do not actually deal with our problem of sin. They don't recognize what our deepest need is. Is your need just happiness? No, your need is salvation. Is your need just to find the true you? No, your need is to find the true Christ. You need a Savior. You and I need salvation from our sin in Jesus Christ. So these views are not seeing our true need. They are not seeing the solution. And every single one of them fails because they do not see the greatness of Christ Jesus the Lord. Something else takes the center. Something else is more important than Christ. They are not according to Christ. But what's the problem? What what would be the result of, of following any of these views or anything else that we've seen that's not according to Christ? Well, look at the beginning of the verse. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by these things. He's pointing out what the problem is. If you follow these views, you are going to be a captive. It's captivity. It's slavery. That's what's going to happen. We just talked about materialism, right? The belief that actually our happiness, our health, our stuff is is very important. It's more important than anything else. That, That kind of lie promises you meaning. It promises you comfort. But then you're enslaved to stuff. You are a slave to your stuff, to your health, to your bank account, and you are never content. What about those new definitions of gender and identity? They, they, they are offering a form of salvation. They really are because they are saying that salvation is found when you find the true you. But you really haven't solved the problem, have you? Because you've now focused your identity. You've reduced who you are to just one piece to maybe sexual orientation. And that thing now is what rules you. Well, let's look inside the church. What about legalism? We see it in so many contexts. We feel it in our own hearts. The legalism that we find in our lives and in the church leaves us serving man-made rules and not serving our gracious God. 
It is only in Christ that we find freedom. Anything or anyone else will keep us in slavery because nothing but Christ can free us from our sin. Now, I've always loved reading Romans chapter 6, where Paul says that in Christ we are no longer slaves to sin. When I was a little kid, I had a, a handmade picture from my Sunday school teacher on my wall, and it had those words on it, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. And it had a picture of the cross and people laying their burdens down at the foot of the cross. That is the freedom. The freedom that we have in Christ is freedom from that sin, freedom from the devil, freedom from the world that is pushing us. We have been set free from sin by Christ so that we are now, Paul says, slaves to righteousness. We are serving Christ. Paul shows us in Romans 6 that our freedom in Christ doesn't mean that we do whatever we want. That's not the idea. No, we love Christ. And he enables us to follow his commandments. But we are finally and fully free from the tyranny of sin and Satan. Now, Paul warns believers here. He warns all of us not to go back that way. Do not go back that way. Watch out for people or ideas that are threatening the freedom that we have in Christ. Even as believers, We are tempted to be pulled away from Christ. Certainly happening in the church in Colossae, and it can be true of us as well. Now, Part of this warning means that we need to know and understand what people are saying to us, or what people are saying around us, what ideas there are in our culture. And we need to view those, not in light of what we understand, or in light of our own wisdom, but in light of Christ, in light of the Bible, But even more basically than that, we need to know Christ. I said last week, that kind of the the forgery imagery, right? How do you know the $100 bill from the fake one? Well, you know it because you look and you study the real one. Same here, when we hear this teaching that sounds so attractive, how do we know it's not true? Because we know Christ. We need to have that clear view of the gospel, We need to have that deep and growing relationship with Christ. Those are the things that will be able to help us to resist these and other false teachings. If you notice, actually, that's exactly where Paul takes the Colossians here, starting in verse 9. He takes the Colossians to Christ. Let's look at verses 9 through 10. Our second point, the fullness of Christ. Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive with these things, verse 9, For in him, that's in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Paul's saying that the reason to resist false teaching is because of who Christ is and what we have in him. He writes, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Paul is saying that Christ is fully God. Paul has already said something similar in this very letter, right? In chapter 1, verse 19, Paul wrote that, For in him, that's Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And Paul actually now returns to that same point. He's showing that Christ is 100% God. The whole fullness of deity dwells 
in Christ. He's not, he's not the best created thing or the first created thing. No, he is God. And yet this is the mystery of the incarnation, really, because Paul says the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ. Christ, the Son of God, he took on a human nature just like ours. That's what Paul is actually emphasizing by pointing out Christ's body. The the deity dwelled bodily, which means that Christ, the Son of God, he was born, he lived, and he died fully God and fully man. But there's even more that Paul is telling us. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Did you notice that verb? That's now. That's what's happening now. Paul is saying that right now, in heaven, Christ is both fully God and fully man. Christ was raised, he is reigning, and he will return fully God and fully man. Let me show you part of why what Paul says here is so important for resisting false teaching. In Christ, we have God himself. In Christ, we have everything we need because we have God. Think about the privilege of what that means for us. Let's just compare our experience to what was true in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, that was what was promised, that God would actually be with us, permanently with us. Now, we know God was always with his people in the Old Testament. You can think of when God appeared to Abraham or to others, or you can think about when Israel was in the wilderness and there was that pillar of fire and smoke that showed God's presence with his people. And God was certainly present in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, and again in the temple. But we have so much more. We have so much more because there are really only two instances, two examples in the Old Testament, when God's presence with his people was was extraordinary. When he was fully present there and he showed it. And both of them are linked to a building. In Exodus chapter 40, the glory of the Lord fills the completed tabernacle. The same thing happens later in 2 Chronicles 7 when the temple is completed. The glory of the Lord fills the building. The tabernacle and the temple were where God's people met with him. And God showed Israel on those two days in a dramatic way that he was with them. And that they could be with him too through the way that he had pointed. Through those sacrifices. Through those laws that were, that were pointing to Christ. But on each of those two days... The glory of the Lord lifted off of those buildings. And that was it. The people were left wanting more. And what they wanted and what they were looking forward to, we have in Christ. We have God with us, no longer in a building, but in a body. In Christ himself, in our very nature. And this is not the presence of God just for a short period of time. No, We have the full presence of God in Christ forever. He is never going away from us. Even when he's in heaven now, he is present here. He's present right now through his Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God. What more can we want? The philosophy and the empty deceit of the world is trying to offer us a fullness that it can never, ever give us. But in Christ... We have God himself in all his fullness and in all his favor and blessing toward us. If we trade Christ 
for anything or anyone else, we are trading the pearl of greatest price for a piece of dirt. That's what we're doing. We're giving it up. But Paul says it's not just that we have Christ. It's also that we have a fullness from Christ. We have a fullness from blessing. Notice what Paul says in verse 10. He says, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This should really be an astonishing statement if you think about what Paul has just told us about. We are filled in Christ who is fully God. There is a direct connection between what happened to us and what is true of Christ as fully God. Paul's not saying, you know, don't get me wrong here, Paul isn't saying that, that Christ, because he's God, makes us God. It's not that. But Paul is saying that because Christ is fully God, he fills us with all the blessings of God. If, if Christ were just a man, even if he were a perfect man, we would get nothing from his work. Nothing. But God has sent his Son to be both God and man. Christ is our mediator. And that unique identity as God and man, that makes all the difference for us. Because now we have salvation. And now we have Christ pouring out all the blessings of God that he has earned for us. And they come in him and in him alone. You notice that Paul actually doesn't say what we are filled with. He doesn't give us the details. He just says, you are filled in him. And that's purposeful. Because Paul has everything in mind. He's trying to look at the, the vast range of blessings that we have in Christ. We have, that, we have forgiveness. We have fellowship with God. We have the blessings of salvation. We have a new nature. We have an obedient heart, a true love for God and for His people. We have eternal life. These are just some of the blessings that we have from Christ. And they come because Christ is fully God. And because he's fully God, he gives us the fullest blessings of God as well. What blessing, what blessing did sin ever bring you? What blessing did sin ever bring you? We often think there's a benefit to our sin. We try to look at the bright side and see what it's doing for us. You know, maybe I got my way this time. Maybe I was a little pushy, maybe I was a little angry, I got my way. Or maybe I did something that uh, people like and I get to feel good about what I was doing. That's so temporary. That's really nothing. The Bible says it so clearly. The wages of sin is death. Not blessing. It's death. Living according to those human traditions or, or those elemental spirits of the world, living a life of sin is only going to lead to physical and spiritual death, it is only going to lead to hell. But the free gift of God, the blessing of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we trade Christ and his salvation and his blessing for anything else, we are trading life for death and we are trading heaven for hell. Paul is encouraging us to look at Christ and to look at what we have in Christ. It's the fullness of Christ versus the emptiness of the world. It is the one who is true God, who is the word, who is the wisdom of God versus the philosophy and empty lies 
of a sinful world. There's no comparison there. There shouldn't be. We see the fullness and the greatness of Christ. But we're so tempted still. We're still tempted to listen to other voices, to go in other directions. And Paul finishes with one more truth about Christ that shows Christ's superiority over anything else. He says, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, throughout this letter, Paul has been showing that Christ is superior to anything and everything else. And one of the things that he's shown is actually that Christ is superior. He's in charge of every spiritual power as well. Remember what Paul wrote earlier in chapter 1, verse 16. For by him, that's by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and are for him. Now we saw in that verse that part of what Paul is talking about those dominions and thrones and rulers or authorities are spiritual powers. He's talking about fallen angels. He's talking about Satan himself. And that's part of what Paul is pointing us to in this verse here, in verse 10. Notice that similar wording there. Christ is the head of all rule and authority. Christ is the head of everything. He's the head of absolutely everything. He's the one who made it, and he's the one who controls it. Not even Satan himself. Not even our greatest enemy, the one who wants to destroy the church. Not even Satan himself is outside the control of Christ. We'll actually see in a couple of verses that God also defeated Satan and all spiritual powers in the death and resurrection of Christ. What is Paul's point here? Why is he showing us how great Jesus Christ is, that he rules over everything, even evil forces against us? Well, Christ has authority and power that no one and nothing in all of creation has. And that means that we do not have to serve anyone or serve anything else as believers. We don't need to serve a human expert who's telling us how to live our lives. We don't have to serve a human culture no matter how powerful it is. We don't have to serve a fallen angel or even Satan himself. No, we are serving Christ. You know, at times it it may really feel like we should be serving somebody (coughs) besides Christ. That's always been the temptation for the church. Always. We we want to replace Christ with, with the gods of the Egyptians or the gods of Baal. You see that in the Old Testament. Or we want to replace God with man-made rules for salvation. We don't want the gospel. We want our own way. Or we want to replace that that truth of sin and salvation with, with a convincing lie, no matter what it is. But we serve Christ. Remember who he is? He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Do not let anyone or anything ever seem bigger than Christ. The church is always going to be faced with this kind of philosophy and empty deceit, that this false teaching that's trying to push us away from Christ. Now, that teaching may look different year to year, may look different culture to culture, but the threat is constant. And it's constant because Satan, the father of lies, is constantly attacking Christ's church. And the world... The world that is under his dominion is constantly trying to squeeze us into its Christ-less mold. 
That's what's happening. That's the reality. But Christ is the same. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Christ who is fully God and fully man. Christ who gave himself up for the church. Christ who fills us from his own fullness. Christ who rules over everything. He is the same. That means that Christ himself will always guard and guide his church. He will always guard and guide us. So what does that mean for us here? What does that mean for us at our church? What is Paul pointing us to? Well, one simple application is do not be surprised when we hear false teaching. Do not be surprised by that, especially when we hear it within the church. That's what was happening in this very letter. And that's what can happen in the church today. Even the best local churches, right? Even the best denominations can fall victim to false teaching. Do not be surprised to hear it from those who claim to be following Christ. But also, another thing that we can take away is pray for spiritual discernment and courage for each other. We need spiritual discernment so that when we hear something that sounds convincing, when we hear something that's, well, that's, that's pretty close to the gospel, when we hear that, we will look to Christ and the gospel first for the truth. If that's something that's happened to you, if you've heard somebody tell you something, you've seen it on YouTube, you've heard a sermon, whatever, and you're not sure about what it means, ask somebody else. Pray for wisdom and ask somebody else in the church. We are here together to be guarding the body. So we need to pray for spiritual discernment and seek it in the body. But we also need to pray for courage for one another. Because we may know that what we've heard is not true. But there will be many times when it is still tempting to give in. It is tempting to go along with what others are telling us. We need courage so that when we, when we know that what we've heard is not true, that we would serve Christ. And we would serve Christ no matter the cost. But third and finally, this passage is pointing us to rejoicing in Christ. Rejoice in Christ and know Him better. Paul is helping us to see the greatness of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have God's presence with us. And we have a fullness of God's blessing. Rejoice in Christ and what we have in Him. There is a fullness in Christ that we will never, ever Exhaust, And we will never also run out of the fullness that he gives us. He is that inexhaustible fountain of salvation and blessing. And he is the one who's given to us. How amazing. How amazing is that? That is an amazing truth of the gospel. As we look at that fountain of Christ, as we see those blessings of salvation, everything else we need, as we see him as the truth, as the word of God, the takeaway is this. How much better is he than anything else the world has to offer? He is far greater, far better, far more worthy than anything the world can give us. That is not just a truth for us. That is not just a truth for believers. That is a truth to proclaim, to show people that they are believing a lie and to graciously point them to the truth to the fullness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that we have Jesus Christ. 
We don't need to turn to anything else. We don't need to turn to anybody else because we have you. We thank you that our Savior is fully God and fully man and he is blessing us because of what he was able to do and who he is. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the message of the gospel that you have caused us to believe. And Lord, we pray that we would see a world that is following many different lies. <coughs> Lord, that is going to lead to hell. We pray that you would give us courage and love for those around us to show them the truth, to show them Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would be gracious and you would work in their hearts and in our hearts as well to see the lies that we sometimes embrace. And Lord, that you would bring us to Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name alone. Amen.